So I've been asked a lot recently what the difference is to me between what I claim to practice, which is self-mastery versus self-control. This is a really profound question that um, I don't believe I answered. I more or less stumbled onto answers that I don't believe belong to anyone in particular as much as they are true because they are self-evident. I'd say the difference, the main difference between self-control and self-mastery is the same difference that we would find between following rules and understanding a principle. Let's take swearing, for example. Growing up, I was taught to believe swearing is bad. And when I got into my teenage years, I stopped wanting to believe that. Um, And as I got into adulthood, for various reasons, I once again wanted, this time wanting, to believe that swearing was bad. So... For the first time ever in my life, I started to practice self-control when it came to swearing. Because when I was a child, my parents were the ones teaching me this self-control to, you know, think and to believe that swearing was bad, that saying swear words was creating negativity, which still to this day provides true But that's not to isolate the people that do swear and say that they are bad. This is where my self-control of not wanting to swear and um, my change of perspective on the people who do, removing myself from the equation, changed the picture for me completely. So... Sometime into adulthood, practicing this belief that swearing was bad, I either wasn't taught or didn't make the connection or just hadn't discovered yet that really what I should believe is that swearing is bad for me. Because let's imagine that we believed that speaking Spanish was bad. Those are different linguistic words to any other language in the world. But if people continuously were taught and believed that speaking Spanish was bad, then we would, you know, treat those people, anyone who spoke that, or naturally spoke that as a, we would see them as a bad person. Some might argue that this is the world we live in. That's not the point I'm trying to make. What I am trying to identify is do the definitions of the words make the words bad? Or does collective belief that words are bad make words bad? I'd say it's a combination of both. And me taking myself out of the equation helped me identify this as a whole to realize my place in the equation by taking my personal bias 
the types of beliefs that betray us, that those biases, the ones that we have all the right to judge ourselves, but we don't have the right to judge others if we don't know them completely. That means that we never have the right to judge another because we will never know anyone else completely when we can barely know ourselves completely. This being said, let's go back to that idea of is the definition what makes a word bad or is it the collective belief that makes a word bad? Like I said, I think it's a combination of both. And being able to identify the difference has made all the world in being able to apply this self-mastery concept to everything that I was practicing with self-control because I found eventually the self-control became self-limiting because I was continuing to follow these rules that I didn't come up with but I knew were based in some inherent truth but I couldn't figure out how to apply it to anyone other than myself and since I couldn't figure out how to apply it to the world I didn't realize that the key was letting go of applying it to the world. And this helped me understand people more. So applying this to the world through self-mastery rather than the self-control that we have the right to do with ourselves, we have every right to say, I choose not to swear, but we have no right to tell other people not to swear. And we also have no right to think that because they choose to swear that they are being negative because we choose to believe that they are negative. Because if culturally they have grown up in an environment or choose an environment where swearing can be, you know, a positive, a neutral, or a negative, that can be as different to us within our own linguistic language as a different language and that can be as foreign and we can have that knee-jerk reaction to judge them because they speak differently we wouldn't judge somebody well maybe some of you might but we wouldn't judge somebody for broken english you know coming into america and speaking broken English. Some of us may, some of us might. We have a collective belief on whether or not that is judgmental. But the idea is, is it is also our choice to see somebody who swears as speaking broken English to somebody who chooses to believe that swearing is bad. This can put a rift between understanding an entire section of human beings in whether or not swearing is good or bad, it's never good to isolate an entire group of human beings because the self-control we want for ourselves is telling us that we shouldn't listen to these people. And if we don't listen to those people, how can we gauge the context of the topics around whatever words they're using that we don't want to use to gauge whether or not we misunderstand the message they're trying to bring us. Listening to others is the only way to truly share 
ideas that don't divide the world. It's not to say that you have to start swearing all the time or that you have to completely stop sharing your idea of why swearing is bad to you. On the contrary, we should actively be able to share why something like swearing is bad to us personally, but also completely tolerate other people who haven't made that conscious choice. And if they're not directing negativity at us, just because they're doing something we believe to be negative around us, it is our choice to internalize it and take offense. This is, I think, probably the biggest way we cause rifts is to say that this thing that some people do is bad because we believe it to be bad. The definitions of certain swear words specifically can be very bad. But when we bring slang into the mix, we have words that literally, officially mean one thing, that a common belief creates a secret dictionary. or Not as much a secret dictionary, but like a a completely separate dictionary definition of this word. We see this manifest in digital space by finding dictionaries and then urban dictionary to figure out what some words that mean something in the dictionary might mean something different in day-to-day language. This is where I started to identify where, you know, public belief separates from the definition We know something like, at one point the word gay meant happy, and then given time in public consensus, the word gay still meant happy, but was more publicly believed to mean something else to the point where people actually, as a public consensus, in general, forgot what the original dictionary definition of it was to the point that dictionaries started to add a secondary uh, definition to it. And then given enough time, that secondary definition became the primary definition. This is how societies change. So if you believe that definitions of words are static... That is a false belief too. Like definitions change constantly. And even though that word changed its definition completely, it's going through a change again because the definition it changed to went from happy to something that was overtly negative. And now the definition is changing again to be something neutral or overtly positive getting the negativity out of it. I think this is an amazing example of human evolution as it applies to speech. So what's more important, the definition or our beliefs? I challenge you to experiment with the idea that your beliefs are way more powerful than the definition of a word.
Meaning that if you choose to believe that somebody who is swearing is negative because they are swearing more than you would be willing to accept, so you can't listen to everything they're saying, your belief makes that so more than their choice to swear. This is an interesting conundrum because it means that we can have the ability to choose not to take offense to people who swear. I think an interesting example of how swearing can be positive is understanding if some people swear primarily because it's culturally acceptable, it doesn't mean that they are making the choice to be negative. It just means that the way they know how to talk that is acceptable with their peers, their leaders, you know, their friends is something that some people are conditioned to judge them for because they judge themselves for it because on the road to self-mastery, self-control is a great way to practice principles to get them routine. So hopefully we take the risk to internalize it, figure out how it applies to our lives specifically and not how it's taught generally, but specifically to your life. That means taking into account your environment, your surroundings. This means realizing in an interconnected world that we are going to run into more people than ever when we used to be isolated by default. This means you don't run into people who communicate differently than you occasionally. You run into these people every single day now in a digitally connected world. This means we have to completely change the way that we, in an analog way, challenge our beliefs by one experience at a time because that one experience at a time can happen several times a day now. And this can get overwhelming to the point where we subconsciously question, you know, how true we think certain things are because we're bombarded by so many people that think differently when it's not to say that we should question our beliefs but we should question the belief of is our belief system the only way people can find happiness because if we can find the people who communicate differently in any way are looking for the same happiness we are and we isolate them because they communicate differently. When really in the back of their mind, if they're like, man, I don't understand why my life is so negative, and they were never taught that maybe swearing can create negative energy, so they're doing it unconsciously almost. They're unconsciously creating negative energy. And they don't even know. But if you go up to them and say, I don't approve of swearing to them, that will probably register as I don't approve of you. If we don't learn how to separate the behaviors from the human being and see human beings as more than the behavior that we observe them in in the moment that we observe them, we take a huge risk assuming that we know people by something like how they look, how they communicate, what they were educated in. 
and we put them in a box that in some part of our mind says they can't improve past this without drastic change. And yet we forget that drastic change takes time. And if we don't have the patience to let time play its role and bear with the difficulties between them, we can share with somebody the idea that, you know, I I don't like swearing. And we think that's enough that they should have the epiphany to stop swearing. That's (laughs) never the case. It wasn't for me. I don't know anyone else that it's applicable for. And in my journeys, I have found people who have found ways to positively swear in their communities where swearing is socially acceptable. One of my oldest and closest friends, one of the most overtly positive people I know, despite life circumstances, that give him every excuse not to choose positivity. He swears in a way that was baffling to me for years because he knows that the communities that he's in, swearing is part of the lingo. So he is very conscious of how he uses it. He never uses it to attack people. But he uses it in common conversation and even to emphasize positive points. This was mind-boggling to me and how positivity is being introduced into a community in the language that they are ready to understand. This does not mean that everyone needs to start learning how to swear positively. This is something that I experimented with it to find that self-evident truth. You can as well, but you don't have to. I don't think it's bad to experiment with positivity, even if it looks wrong superficially. This doesn't mean that we have to try everything that is wrong just to it. Because if you experiment just for the sake of experimenting then you're not really looking for the results. You're looking for an excuse to be different when really that's a whole nother set of questions. So let's get back onto the example of positive swearing in the place it holds in this interconnected global digital community we now experience. I think somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk is an amazing example of positive swearing. He knows that he's talking specifically to the youths of the world and a lot of young adults that are lacking motivation. He's sharing very, very positive messages that I struggled for a very long time to find on my own. And now I see somebody like Gary V come out of the woodworks And I'm like, where was he when I was 15, 16, you know, 20, 21, like starting up my first businesses? Where was somebody like him to talk to me in the way that I was ready to hear that somebody of a level of success that I thought I wanted encouraging me digitally? Where was somebody like him? I now know through exploration, you know, in the 80s and 
you had people like Tony Robbins. You still have people like Tony Robbins. He's still a huge influence on people like Gary Vee. These people are in every generation. And now we realize in this interconnected generation, we can experiment with meeting new people, new dialects, new ways of communicating from a much younger age. Meaning that swearing, something that used to be more of an adult thing to experiment with, now happens at a much younger age. Gary Vee understands this. This is why he's able to communicate with youth, not just for the swearing. He does this in a way where he understands all youth communication styles and uses them like they do, not because he's trying to mimic them. We know when people are trying to mimic the way younger people try and talk. We've all been in those school classes where they have the educational video where they're trying to talk to the kids about a topic and you're like, okay, they obviously were prepped on the types of words we use, but it does not sound natural because they know the words, but they don't understand the words as the youth use them. Gary Vee is a prime example of having that empathy and understanding and ability to truly listen, breaking generational divides by listening and being able to think like them and communicate like them. I'm sure that this bleeds through in all of his communication now, but if you don't believe that he can turn that on and off with a switch, you underestimate your own ability to master your communication and your situation in the world. Because if you think he will speak the way he does on his Snapchat videos and Instagram videos in every single business meeting he goes to, I I, I wouldn't doubt it at his position now, but at one point he probably had to separate it. And there's still probably some point, some parts of his life where he will turn off some of that vocabulary out of respect for the people he's with. And this is something that we can do in our efforts to listen to this new global community. We can turn off the part that we use to improve our ability to self-control, to get to that point of self-mastery, of understanding that we can turn off that judgment center to hear people that we have every choice to be offended by it to the point where it makes us uncomfortable. It is our choice to make the way somebody talks make us feel uncomfortable. The same way that we can feel uncomfortable by somebody swearing when we might judge somebody else for feeling uncomfortable because somebody is speaking Spanish around us or Arabic. We see this happen a lot, especially in first world nations. If people are speaking a language that is attached to some form of judgment that we're conditioned to for good or bad reasons, we can have the ability to go past our self-control of ourselves and master 
our own perception of the world to help us listen and understand other human beings so that we can help them get to a new level. Bridging these gaps, understanding that because somebody thinks differently or speaks differently does not mean that they're bad. It just means that we are overwhelmed in a way that previous generations have never experienced. Where previous generations could go their whole lives living in communities where, you know, people don't swear and they think, you know, intelligent, good people don't swear. And they might meet the occasional people throughout their life living in these communities where their reality is never shattered. Whereas on the flip side, people who live in communities where the opposite is true can understand that some of those people get out of those communities. You know, they might be overtly negative, but they don't see swearing as one of the ingredients, but they might be able to see that negativity is the ingredient that keeps people in and positivity is the ingredient that gets people out of their community. I think this is fascinating how we can have a fragile, good society and a very anti-fragile, rough society that refines people to go beyond the rules and get to the root, the principle, in a way that if we don't respect that there are different ways to live, we might miss the fact that the people who have it harder and have more what we might believe to be rough areas could become refined quicker than we are. And that is something that I think we miss out on more than ever by trying to hold on to what I call analog ways of having communities in the world. And now, you know, we have everyone bumping together. And we have an opportunity to learn and understand and truly listen, setting our judgments aside until the other person is done talking. And then we don't apply those judgments to the person. We apply them to the things that were said. We keep in mind that the person is different than the ideas and words shared. And we also have the compassion and understanding to help them be aware that we are actively separating who they are as a human being from the ideas they shared. Because we are not our ideas or our beliefs. We are an ever-changing human being that has infinite potential. And if we remove that judgment from other human beings and apply it to the ideas and help other people understand that we can judge their ideas without judging them, man, that would be a beautiful world to live in. And honestly, whether or not you're somebody who listens to, you know, the teachings of positivity, the teachings of God, the teachings of Allah, What I've learned by separating myself from the equation is I understand myself enough to be able to comfortably, without any anxiety, say that 
regardless of my personal beliefs, I can now understand that the idea that the people who love God have about their God is the same idea that the people who love Allah have about Allah. The people who love positivity have the same idea about positivity as the people who love God and who love Allah. But getting caught up in these differences of terminology, even if we think we know the definitions, if we have a belief that a certain word is bad, that is always going to be more powerful than the definition. And I think that's something we should keep in mind. Because the only time I ever see beliefs become a bad thing is when beliefs commingle with bias. That's what broke down in my reality. And examining my beliefs enough, externalizing them, Realizing that I had to remove my beliefs from myself so that I could not feel the direct pain of doing this belief surgery to remove this cancer of bias from my beliefs. Only then was I able to realize, okay, this belief is good. And sometimes I'd remove the cancer of a, be- of a belief that bias and realize, well, this belief was 90% bias. In fact, to the point where the remaining belief makes no sense at all. I can get rid of this. It's actually destructive to my life. And what I find is what's left over with other people who have done this is they have compassion and understanding with people that people who are ruled by bias say they shouldn't. This is just my explanation and my understanding of my own experiences and my journey. I don't believe that these are the right answers for the world, but these are the right answers for me. And I'm not actually asking anybody else to do this. I'm just sharing what worked for me because even if 1% of this might be what you're looking for to improve your idea, to improve yourself, to move your self-control to the realm of self-mastery, that's all I can hope for. I'm not asking anyone to follow me. I'm just open sourcing my knowledge Because even though I know some people will think that this is completely ridiculous, I'm hoping that there's at least another person out there that can find at least 1% of a good idea in my idea that works for me to improve their own situation in life, to improve their own environment, to improve their own ability to communicate, to improve their own ability to love others, 
but more importantly, improve their own ability to love themselves. Because I tried for years to figure out how to love others, but it never clicked until I truly started listening to myself, having compassion for myself, took the time of that painful process of those two things to eventually understand myself. And then I unconditionally loved myself. And what's funny is I realized that because I stopped and asked myself why I had so much love for other people. Often we don't see the fact that we've crossed the finish line until we question why am I still running this race when everyone is cheering? What is going on? And you see that you've already crossed the finish line. If we can take our eye off the goal, the counterintuitive result is we often get to the goal quicker than we could have ever believed by hyper-focusing on it. I encourage you to experiment in this new world that we live in. Try new ways to be right by improving on what you already want to believe to be true. Figure out how to let go of your biases. Like with most of my podcasts, I try and share the sources of the understanding that I've come to. I highly suggest any of the works of Dr. Daniel Kahneman. If you don't know who he is, look into Michael Lewis's book, The Undoing Project. If you don't know who Michael Lewis is, if you've ever heard of the books or the movies, Moneyball, The Blind Side, The Big Short, The Undoing Project has recently, within the past couple of years, become my favorite book of all time because it introduced me to one of the fathers of this way of thinking. Doing surgery on my beliefs was learned from how I understood heuristics, which we might have heard the word heuristics floating around. Daniel Kahneman, Amos Traversky, the fathers of heuristics. Not to say they invented them, but they discovered them in the world of psychology. And I think that is amazing. If you go in there and understand that and realize that they're connecting science to an area of understanding that has had a rough relationship with science. And this should not be missed, but it has been because it happened well over 60 years ago. So look into Daniel Kahneman's work. Uh, a great place to start would be um, Thinking Fast and Slow. That's a, a great book. You can learn a lot from that one. So check out The Undoing Project, Thinking Fast and Slow. If you want to learn more about uh, resources and other formats, you, know, you can check out my free course. First few sections will go over a lot of things, but I'd suggest if you find this topic interesting, looking at uh, 
the positive psychology section and also what is mental unhealth. Those two sections I think you'd find fascinating if you have found this podcast interesting. You can find that free course at libraryofconsciousness.com. It's a Facebook social learning course. So it's completely free. You get in with your already existing Facebook account. And these are just more of the open source knowledge resources of the Library of Alexandria project. Thank you for listening. And please come back for more.